Welcome to Dial It Up. I'm Mike Nada. And I'm Randy Redekop. The series of podcasts contains a, a number of conversations we've had with educators about the role of digital technology in the classroom. Hello, I'm here today with Devin Caldwell and Leo Obak, who are some well-respected educators um, from Southwest Manitoba. And uh, just start by asking you to say a little bit about yourselves. Okay, well, thank you so much for having us on the podcast, Mike. It's always a pleasure to be here with um, my technology bestie and co-collaborator, Leah Ovac. Um, my name's Devin. I'm a kindergarten teacher at Oak Lake Community School in Fort LaBosse School Division, and I've taught there for a number of years. Um, more recently, I've started teaching sessionally at Brandon University in the undergrad and graduate program, and I'm a PhD candidate at University of Victoria. Hi, I'm Leah. Thank you, Mike, for having us. And I'm currently working as the Literacy with ICT teacher leader for Park West School Division, which means that I work in all of our schools supporting students and teachers with using technology for education, a very cool job. Um, and Devin and I also work together with KG Education, uh, offering learning opportunities for educators. So those okay. are my two current roles. Great. And maybe we'll, a little later you could talk more about your this venture with KG Education. But one thing that um, I think you're known for is the collaborative work that you two have done between, between you when you were both in your classrooms. And so I'm wondering if you could share some of those projects you did and, and talk specifically about the role that technology played in those projects. Well, it all started out when Leah's student taught with me when I was teaching grade one and two. And we the first thing we ever collaborated on together was a Microsoft Innovative Educator project, or it was the Microsoft Innovative Teachers Program back then. And we, we quickly learned that we worked really, really well together and just were better together, had greater ideas, had so much more fun learning and working together. And when Leah went to graduate and get a job, she ended up being hired in um, mainly a high school position with some middle years courses too, right? Yeah, but we wanted to continue to work together, even though Devin then had switched to teaching kindergarten and I was teaching high school with some middle years courses. So we came up with some creative ideas for connecting our classrooms. So one of um, our favorite early projects to look back on was when my high school ELA students um, took characters, hero characters that Devon's kindergartens had developed and actually wrote stories based around those characters and then used Skype to call back into Devon's class and read those aloud. So that's one of the oldie projects that's a favorite that comes back to us. Um, and we just felt there was so much value in working together and connecting our students that we tried a lot of different things. And I think one of the things that um, we tried early on, uh, once I got into an early years role as well, was just co-teaching and teaching math games together. 
Well, and we always looked at it as a way to um, make our practice more accountable and strengthen and push the boundaries of our practice. So like often I'd say to Leah, like, you know, I, I just feel like I'm not doing a good enough job in this area. Like what could we do together to kind of make it more fun and engaging for us and to, to make me accountable to someone? Because it's, it's really easy to say like, oh yeah, I want to do this. But when you come up with a plan, you make a date and a time with someone else, you're definitely going to follow through on your end of it. Whereas otherwise, in the crazy busy life of a teacher so often things just just fall by the wayside when things come up but when you have a collaborative partner that you're accountable to I think it really does strengthen your practice if I could just jump in with that that the thing and I think a barrier for some teachers is the fact that you're in different schools and different divisions Mm -hmm. so how did that happen how did you work together collaborate in that context well it definitely like we definitely had to jump through some hoops, um, Leah more so than me. Leah, you really had to work as an advocate to get the tools we needed so that we could yeah. collaborate effectively. Our collaboration was based um, on technology. That was really the only way our students connected, especially um, early on. They were connecting using things like video calling, such as Skype or Twitter. Smart bridges we used to use, too, a few times. We were really um, limited at the time. Um, most technology tools were blocked in my school division, and I had to apply to use them. So that was uh, one thing that we had to kind of go through. And then we did get the tools, but our internet connectivity was not very robust at the time. So we would often have days where we dropped calls, or one tool wouldn't work and another would, and we kind of just had to persist through that. And we, as a result, tried a variety of tools to try to get the best uh, connection for our students and it wasn't um it was inconvenient i guess to have to get technology tools unlocked but it it wasn't a big barrier because i had a good explanation for why i was using them and how those tools were going to enhance the learning in my classroom which was really uh, all that my school division was asking for it was a good reason why we would need access to those tools and, and thankfully, that, things are a lot easier now because we have amazing internet <laughs> connectivity mm-hmm. and access to all the tech tools without those kinds of blocking. So that's been really wonderful. Oh, that's awesome that that's better now. But um, and I, but you make a great point, I think, that when people are hesitant to try things it, new within their classroom even is to explain and show the value, and that opens some of those doors. Yeah. Well, it, it makes us be really clear on why we want to use something, the pedagogical value of a tool. Um, just, I'm thinking back to, that was like 10 years ago, and we would like cycle through our tools. We'd be like, okay, Skype's not working today. Let's try something else. Um, even if we couldn't talk, we'd use maybe the texting feature in it. And we would always joke like, no, we're not smart with technology. We just have abnormal levels of persistence. persistence. <laughs> <laughs> and I think sometimes that really is just what it takes. Yeah, well, I think you're pretty good at technology too. So, um, okay. Well, any other examples you want to just share before? Sure. I, th- I think our collaboration really started to evolve after we've been doing it for a few years from kind of like isolated um, one or two time connections, like the writing project, or we would, you know, play math games back and forth mm-hmm. between similar age classes. And eventually, while we were working on an idea, again, for a reapplication to the Microsoft Expert Educator Program, we came up with what turned out to be some of our first cross-classroom collaborative project-based learning. Uh, At the time, we didn't even really realize it was called project-based learning, Um, but our project was called the Little Hands Big World Project. 
And it basically started with Devin and I co-teaching a lesson over Skype on helping and hurting the earth, which led our students Mm -hmm. to explore sustainability topics. Which actually became almost like a collection of a whole bunch of collaborative projects. Like Little Hands Big World just kind of became like an overarching theme for all of our collaborations. So it was all around the focus of sustainability, helping the earth, which is like something that young children really, um, it's accessible to them. It's tangible. They can see it. They can take action in many different small ways. Yeah. And I think that project really um, showed us the value of project-based learning. That first one, um, Devin's students actually went out and collected data on whether or not the reusable bags that their school had given to every family uh, were being used and found that many of them were not being used, that they were being forgotten. Yeah, which we actually led... went to the grocery store and counted how many plastic bags went out of there in the morning. It was mm. staggering. And we uh, then we met on Skype and our, we had all these ideas that we thought kids would come up with to address the problem. Mm-hmm. And between her kinders and my grade ones, they came up with a simple reminder sticker solution and designed them and promoted them. And yeah, after that, those kinds of projects became common in our classroom Every year with different groups of kids, they would tackle things uh, that interested them, whether it was helping animals or doing something for the environment or helping other people. It was always uh, unique ideas depending on the students, but that cross-classroom collaboration for project-based learning kind of became the norm for us for many years. I think it became kind of a part of the culture of our classrooms. And I think in those years, we really did merge into one community of learners into separate geographic locations. Yes. Our students would like ask to share things with each other outside of projects, whether it was through Twitter or email or um, a message on Skype or video call live. They, they knew that Devin's class was there and vice versa. And they began to expect that as part of the way we connected and part of the way we learned. I think something that's kind of interesting too, is just the, like the give and take or just kind of the the flow in roles in our collaboration. Like sometimes Leah's class would really take the lead on something and my class maybe wouldn't just buy in quite as much or we'd be busy with something else in kindergarten. So we'd almost take more of a consultative role where Leah's class would update us maybe weekly on their project. We would listen, ask questions, offer suggestions, but we didn't really actively engage in the project either. Like we had a few of those too and there's value in that as well. And there was value for us as educators to learn not to force it Mm -hmm. because like we loved working together and the things that our kids did when they got to connect and collaborate. But we soon learned that the results um, for engagement and for student learning were best when kids genuinely wanted to engage in those projects. So we learned that sometimes it would be equal, sometimes it would not be, and that it was great to support each other in lots of different ways. Mm Very interesting projects, and I know some of the others you've taken part or done, but what are some of the big benefits you see out of these collaborations for both you and the students and the community? I think Devin already mentioned uh, the accountability piece, like having a teaching partner that is uh, a friend and a trusted colleague just kind of helps you keep trying new things, persist, and if you say you're going to do it, you do it. I also think in that same way that working together has helped us to stretch ourselves, go outside our comfort zone, try new things because we're doing it together. And sometimes as a teacher, when you're tackling new things on your own, that can be really hard. 
Well, we've been really, really fortunate. Like, although we work in two different school divisions right now, um, we both live in Kenton. So it wasn't a hardship for us to come together on our personal time and say, okay, like, let's just sit down and, and go through this together or, or check this out together and, and see what would work. Yes. So our husbands would tell you, even with our best intentions, only to socialize, it always comes back to yeah. education. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, let's just work for an hour or, yeah. Yeah. I think being around teachers for 42 years whenever teachers are together it always ends up coming back to something to do with education no i i think i think for me a really big benefit is i did tackle things i never would have tried on my own like things that i don't necessarily see as a fit for for my strengths like and two things would be coding like about five years ago Leah and I kept hearing about coding and we were like okay it's time to get to the bottom of this <laughs> and so we tackled coding together and with our students and learned right along with our students and kind of our most recent challenge that we tackled together is Minecraft EDU like that's not we're not gamers and that's not maybe the most natural fit for who I am as a learner but together we've we've really explored it and and seeing all of the different ways we can use it with students. So I think it's the trying things you wouldn't normally try. That's a big one for me. Yeah, and in terms of students, I think there's huge benefits for them too to collaborating. Um, it gives them unique learning opportunities. I always think it's wonderful for kids to learn from others who are different from them, live in a different place, even if it's not that far away. In this case, it's good to get some different perspectives. And it also allowed us to model and teach how to collaborate, how to use technology appropriately, and how to use technology for learning and collaboration and connection. So I think there was just a lot of awesome experiences built in for both both of us and our learners. What about community? When you talk about like the recycling, the reusable bags and that sort of thing, how do they get involved or do they, and how do they receive these projects? Well, Leah and I sometimes laugh because um, we have learned that no one can be a more passionate advocate than a five or six or seven year old <laughs> who believes strongly in their project. So um, I think for the most part, our family's parents have been incredibly patient and supportive, especially when you live out in the country and your five-year-old saying, oh no, mom, we're not taking the car to hockey tonight because driving the car is bad for the environment. <laughs> so I mean, we've definitely had to navigate like those, um, you know, kind of that fine line between making a difference for the earth and also being realistic about where we live. And, and parents will jokingly tell me like, my kid's telling me we can't flush the toilet because it's wasting water. But I found our parents to be incredibly supportive and, and really, really proud of the things our students have accomplished and, and really supportive. Yeah, I found the same thing. And it's been neat. Some of the projects that students have picked over the years have really strongly involved the community. One that comes to mind is the year that I had a lot of kids that had rural connections and farming connections. They actually wanted to plan something to help our farmers. Uh, I think because they had a lot of awareness that it had been a difficult harvest, kind of like this year, although it was a few years ago, and that farmers were under a lot of stress. And of course, my kids were game to go out to the farm and actively help, but we settled on um, planning a farmer appreciation day just to show our local farmers how important they are and how much they mean to us in our community. And we had huge community involvement from like not only just parents, but a variety of community members that students invited in. And it's 
been the case for other projects too, where community gets involved and, and helps out, especially taking kids out into the community. It's common for us with these kinds of projects. If we need to know something about the grocery store, we go to the grocery store. If we're baking cookies for a fundraiser, we go uptown and get our ingredients. And if we need to go to the library, we go there. So that kind of lets people know what's going on. And also because our kids often share um, on social media, that lets our community know what's going on too. And then they can get involved and, and show up to support the kids. I've always found as long as we've been really like really open and transparent in our communication with families, they've been incredibly supportive and the, and the community as well. I know for me, like the most exciting thing I've observed to come out of all of this is that our kids have experienced firsthand that through their actions, they can make a difference. Like we always come back to that, but that's been the big thing for me. Like when a kid learns at a young age, like, okay, like I can do something and it will make a difference in the world around me. That's really exciting. Yeah. Well, those are those are really good. What about the other side of the coin? Any challenges and specifically you had to overcome? I think the biggest ones were what we talked about with like access to technology and connectivity, especially in the start. And then for us, just like navigating what project based looking projects based learning might look like. And then what does it look like in two classrooms and two different divisions with different schedules and how that, how that would work. And we got better at it as we went for sure. We definitely made it up as we went along. Like we weren't following a model. We, we didn't know that we were doing project-based learning even at the beginning, as we mentioned. Um, I think Microsoft really did push us um, because they had really, of course, detailed rubrics about what they believed strong 21st century, rich, deep, authentic learning looked like. And we really did use those as guidance for planning our steps mm -hmm. and projects sometimes. But, but yeah, it was just kind of making it up as we went along and figuring out what would work for us and work for our students. Okay. Was there any problems in getting parents on board? Because I know that's always a you know, and, and my students here at the university always wondering about that sort of thing. How do you get parents to agree and so on? This isn't a, a problem unique to collaboration or collaborative project-based learning, but I've just found if you don't communicate effectively with parents about how the project or the learning you're doing is meeting curricular outcomes or how it's strengthening literacy, numeracy, critical and creative thinking skills, that's when you're going to run into problems. Once you've built trust with families, like, I mean, I've taught no clay for going on 20 years. So I'm really fortunate. Like I'm a known commodity to them and they trust me and they, they know that if I say, you know, this is good for their kids, they'll take that at face value. But I think if you don't have that relationship with families established, you really need to be open and clear in your communication and say like, yes, we are planning a walk to um, raise awareness of the plight of the polar bear, but these are the curricular outcomes that are being uncovered or addressed through the project. So parents know. Yeah, and in terms of using technology, that's something that of course we want parents on board with too. And I think lots of that comes from upfront conversations right at the start of the year, letting families know that we will be using technology to enrich learning, why we use it, how we use it, and that it is intended for meaningful, rich learning opportunities, not mindless consumption. And just having those conversations and explaining, I think, before you get started is always a, a good way to go. And I've found families to be incredibly supportive. Mm-hmm. And always, of course, just touching on that, um, like digital citizenship, ethical and safe use, like these are the steps that I will implement in the classroom. 
to make sure your child is safe. And I explain mm -hmm. how we teach our children as we go through projects about how they can be safe while using technology. Okay, so that's another side benefit, I guess, is the fact that you're teaching modeling for these kids how yeah. to And it's authentic. It's not like yeah. a, a course or a program on how to be a mm -hmm. good digital citizenship. It's, it's happening. It's in practice. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. And you mentioned coding, so maybe I'll, you know, if you just want to touch on some of the things you do with coding, because that's kind of a big thing now. Yeah. One of our favorite projects actually came uh, to life the first year we wanted to introduce coding. We weren't super sure about coding or how that was going to look in our classrooms, but we were sure about project-based learning by that time. So we asked our students, my grade twos at the time actually, if they wanted to sign up for Hour of Code and plan some sort of celebration. We ended up calling it the Kids Who Code Codeathon. And together, Devon's Kindergartens and my grade twos planned a day-long learning event centered around coding activities. They invited in guests of all ages, community members. We even had Brandon University um, student teachers there and the oil caps. Yeah, and even celebrity, and celebrity players. And yeah, it was really great. It was an awesome uh an awesome tradition and it continued um, for a few more years in my classroom and now that I'm in a divisional role we have some fabulous teachers in my school division who have taken on that tradition and tried it out as well with their st students and each event is unique because the students plan it um, and decide what that day is going to look like. Well, that's awesome given that responsibility too at a young age. Well it worked beautifully and like Leah and I knew like <coughs> we didn't have even you know the time to learn everything that we needed to learn about different coding tools to teach it to our students. So we thought, well, wouldn't it just be a great model if Leah's students became the experts on different tools, and then at our codeathon they taught other people and children how to use them, and then my kids planned the whole event. So we really kind of split it up so that we could bring a big event to life and that everyone could experience coding. And it, it's, it's just so remarkable that it's with kids at such a young age, too, to show that they can do this and take the lead and yeah, when, so on. When given the opportunity, even our youngest learners can do really amazing things, for sure. Okay, now we're getting near the end of our time, and I just want to give you a minute or two to talk about your latest venture. You mentioned earlier KG Education. Yeah. And we all know what KG is, you Kenton girls. <laughs> Yeah, we're collaborating in some different ways these days um, with me being in different classrooms every day in a support role. I don't have my same group of students every day, so we haven't been doing the collaborative project-based learning cycles that we once did, but Devin and I decided in May that it was a good time for us to start working together in a new way to offer learning opportunities for educators. So we're working on planning our second learning retreat for February 2020. And we're just really excited about um, the response so far and how we get to work with educators and support them in their learning journeys. Well, and our interests have kind of grown and evolved over the years. Like our collaborations were always centered around technology and project-based learning. And then somewhere along the, the way, Leah and I both really embraced yoga as a huge part of our lives and wellness practices. Um, you don't need to go far to find an educator or a student who is stressed out or experiencing anxiety and needs to make wellness and self-care a greater part of their lives. So with our learning retreats, Leah and I have really wanted to blend those two things together. So on our like learning retreat days, we begin with 
at least 45 minutes of yoga, mindful movement, and then we close the day with um, some form of meditation, breath work, movement, and lots of opportunities for educators to work in small groups, build community. And where would someone go to find out more about these when they occur? You can check out kgeducation.ca or find us on Facebook. Okay, great. And I welcome our listeners to uh, check that out. Sounds very good. And just the very last thing I'm going to ask is we would like to leave our audience with a question or a provocation to think about in their own context, maybe discuss with their colleagues or just think about by themselves. So do you have something for us? I do. So my question for you to think about is how can you create a collaborative experience for your students that takes their learning beyond the walls of your school? And I think, of course, we recognize that not all educators work in classrooms with students. So I think what I would encourage people to think about is um, with whom could you collaborate to either take your, your practice or your work or an interest of yours to the next level? So even if it's not necessarily focusing on teaching, but how could you make collaboration a part of your life to, to really level up and... I guess, experience maybe greater success or fulfillment or impact with something you're working on. Oh, great. Those are both great things to think about and all about our topic of collaboration. So once again, thank you very much. It's interesting and no doubt we'll have you as guests again because you have so much great stuff to share. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for having us, Mike. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. And thanks to the Manitoba Association for Computing Educators, MANACE, for sponsoring these podcasts. And thanks, too, to Tofu Stravinsky for the soundtrack. See you next time.